is it's not just income, but it's also something that they're constantly trying to develop that. Right. And some they i think the if like our generation coming up through if they want to get good at what they're doing they've got to sit and listen and watch and go to these trials because it's a trickle-down effect mm-hmm. um, you're watching the best of the best compete and whether you're at a master trial a grousewoods trial uh the continental or you know over at sedgefield watching the national uh for shooting dog you set yourself up in there and become a student and you're going to learn something. Right. And you're, you're going to learn something not to do as well. Mm-hmm. And so that's all in the aspect of, of what we're doing here. Right. Um, well, but we, we're a generation that didn't work or didn't grow up with animals as much. You are so right. You want to know what's crazy, man? Like, right. I have so many people that, and I, and I, <sighs> I'm nobody's professional dog. I'm I'm not. I'm literally just learning. I'm this this. I'm always learning, right? Um, right. And I think I do fairly well with my dog. <laughs> right. Um, I I wouldn't call myself taking somebody else's dog and saying, "Oh, I'm gonna make it a champion." But we are a generation that did not grow up with dogs, but we also, more importantly, did not grow up with the type of dogs that a lot of these old guys are have. But I also think there was a huge generational gap. Yes. Yeah. In yeah. And and I and I and I hope that you can feel that my sentiment. Um, I like the idea that you and I, um, you know, the guys, Nick, Nick Larson, AJ, uh, DeRosa, um, you know, all of these guys were trying to figure out how to keep it. Yeah. There's a yeah. huge gap. And, and we all understand that it relies on the dog and it's not... Man, it's something magical about running these dogs, but it's more magical when you figure out and you watch the dog's light bulb come on. That's oh, the yeah. thing that's gonna be able that's that's going to carry on what the last generation may have missed. And I'm not saying everybody else, everybody that came you know, that came that generation before us just wasn't involved, but it seems like there's a huge push to really get back into developing these dogs. Like you say, we're not working in uh, you know more manual labor labor jobs now, so it seems to me like we have a little bit more time on our hands um, to think about that. Yeah, 
you know, and, yeah. and that's important to me, man. It is, yeah. Um, one of the guys I forgot about, um, kind of our generation, uh, I, and he might be one of the best developers out there um, mm-hmm. of these of high end field trial dogs. I mean, um, and he's from Montana, uh, Ike Todd, and okay. Ike is incredible. Um, last summer, I, I missed uh, meeting up with him by a day. Um, he grew up in Bowman, but he, he's amazing with these dogs, and he's uh, handled a dog to the national championship. I think that was in 2010 with uh, Touches Whiteout. Okay. Um, but he, he's, oh, gosh, that he's got anyone and everyone coming to him with dogs uh, to run on the all-age circuit or to develop a, a prospect. And, you know, he, sun up to sundown, that's the type of work ethic he that's has. That's what he does. Um, and everybody talked about it. The mm-hmm. old-timers talk about it. They say, you know, he just worked his tail off. So. And, and you got to have that, man. Like, you know, it, it, it's hearing about Jay. You know, I'm gonna go look for him. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go look for him. So, um, absolutely. You know, it's the work ethic, man. Like, you have got to make these dogs mannerable, um, very well trained shooting dogs, gun dogs, um, or hell, just your everyday hunting bird dog. It yeah. takes work. When I get home, yep. it's work. Yeah, I actually look forward to getting off of work out of school to, yeah. you know, get back in. It, it just, man, it takes dedication, man. And these dogs are going to give us the same thing. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, when you see them lay down a performance, um, that it's going to be a, as much as a memory of, of anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a couple of them in my head, even from this year, that... Uh, looking back at, I thought, wow, you know, that was a really special, uh, really special hunt or, uh, being able to work that dog was really special on that day to watch certain things that they did. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, it's just constant development. And when you invest in what you're doing, it takes you further. Right. Absolutely. So, absolutely. So now yeah. let me, let me ask you this. Um, and I want to get more into the, the, the field trial circuit um, before I even start asking you about a little bit more of your personalized training. Um, yeah. Let's talk about your recent work in developing dogs and at least getting them prepared for the field trial circuit. Um, what are some of your new prospects? What might they be looking like? Like, you have any standouts? Um, well, for right now, I guess my my hope <laughs> is to get a horse in the next year. That's okay. the next thing. You and, look, you, you know. and me both. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, and I, I do have one. I think he's a very special little dog. Um, and uh, he's, um, yeah, he's nine months old, 10 months old, right in that range. I think he just turned 10 months old or he's going to. Mm-hmm. Um and I had him uh, given to me by Frank Lanasa out of Minnesota. And uh, Frank is a good friend and mentor, and um, he's just a special pup. He, uh, his, his sire is a dog called True Confidence. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then his grandfather is a dog called Aaron's Red Rum. And his grandmother is uh, 
a dog called uh, Loma Sunshine. And I've got two daughters of Loma Sunshine in the kennel. Okay. Um, and I, I put a lot of emphasis on the female. Um, huh, I've he, heard that he's, before. He's, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's one thing my dad taught me with coonhounds was you put a lot of emphasis on your females. Okay. Um, and then Kim Sampson, <laughs> she instilled that in me. Uh, Frank, is, Frank is real similar too. And, uh, um, you know, and so you've got to have real strong qualities of your female. You can't expect the male to do everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, uh, yeah, there's certain dogs that I really like, um, what they're producing and what I've seen. And, and this pup is one of them. And is he going to be the best one out there? No, probably not. But is he going to be fun for me to develop and, uh, and hopefully run some, some derbies and maybe some, uh, trials with, mm-hmm. yeah, he is. And, and that's what keeps people in the game. Yep. Yep. yep um, yep. Okay. It's, it's having that motivation to get out there and, um, and just more than anything, what you're doing at these field trials is you're just, you're showing your dog, you're showing your work that you guys have put together yep. and you're hoping it all comes together on that day because you've worked hard. So I, I, you know what? I think that is probably one of the best things that anyone may be able to take away from the why behind field trials. It's not about winning though. Look, we all yep. like to win, right? Um, yep. It shows the hard work and dedication. I do want to remember that. I'm actually writing that down myself. Um, you know, you do these things year round because dog training is an everyday thing. Um, right. And when yeah. you when you see that explosion off the off off the uh, off the blocks for for lack of a better word, um, yeah. When you see you know, the dog's responsiveness to you and, and just things like that. Even in the Nastra trial, uh, my buddy Richard's short hair, she worked amazing in my opinion. And I'll sit here and talk trash about short hairs and this and that. Cause I mean, I'm just going to look, I'm going to do it regardless, but I cannot take away good dog work. Mm-hmm. I just, I just exactly. can't, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that was, that's crazy. We've been talking for about an hour, but that was monumental what you said, man. It's about showing your dog, showing the work that you put in. Yep. Um, go ahead. He, well, Frank taught me one thing and, uh, and you know, the other, like Rich, Rich is real good uh, and Kim's real good and they're with developing their dogs in the field trials and um, they've, they've won a, quite a few championships and um but it's real special, number one, if the dog ever wins a championship. It's a real special thing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't happen that often. Um, for some, it happens more than others, right? But mm-hmm. it, it's really special. Um, and then, and I, I've never won one, but um, I've had the privilege to scout some that, that won. And it was really special for me. Um, and I'm a terrible scout. Don't get me wrong, but um, I was on a I was on a really good horse. So, um, but it's uh, yeah. It, it what Frank told me. He said, you know, at one point he said I was getting really frustrated because he's such a competitive person, and he said I, I had to take a step back and realize that it has to be fun, and you you have to learn how to, um, you know dictate your um, competitive side when it needs to be there and when it needs to be put away. Mm-hmm. And 
he said, really, what you're doing is you're going out there and you're doing you're you're doing right by your dog. You know, you're allowing them to perform. Mm-hmm. And and it's the same thing when you're hunting, right? And we see these guys all the time that just getting frustrated with their dog left and right. And I, I've done there. Don't get me wrong. I've been right. there. We've all um, we've all been there. Yep. Right. And so, you know, at certain times you got to know. Um, when they're ready and when they're having an off day, just like we would have in any athletic. So, um, but if you're always thinking that you sh- you're out there to win, then you may lose sight of what you're actually doing with that animal. Right. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. So, but at the same token, field trials are a really big deal, especially if we're looking to breed animals um, or look at breed on qualities. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, wild birds go a long way as well. Oh my gosh, they do. Let me ask you this, and this is kind of a, a, a short sidebar question. Um, I've always admired scouts. Um, I sometimes feel like that they're kind of a not, they don't get enough recognition. Yeah. Um, what were some of the big takeaways from you being a scout? Like, what what did you get from that? Uh, um, the scouts, especially down in the piney woods, mm-hmm. man, they, they make all the difference. You, you, the scouts, and and I don't think, and I could be wrong. They may not be as uh, as good today as they were back in the day because we have our, our horsemen now aren't quite as um, strong as they were from what people have told me. But they, the scout makes all the difference, and directing that dog, especially when you have one that's really capable and really strong and reaching into the country mm-hmm. um i i think from what i've heard um on the all-age circuit that uh, luke eisenhart and um and tommy davis are one of the best uh, duos and they will um work for and with each other so i know uh tommy has um scouted true confidence a lot mm-hmm. and some of those scouts they know they know the move that that dog's going to make before the dog makes it. Right. They can tell by the body language, and they've seen that dog in the ground enough that they can anticipate where that dog's going. And it's, um, man, some of them are just tremendous at what they do. And um, I think Nick Thompson is a really big name as well in the scouting world. Um, he's scouted numerous national champions. Um, but, yeah, they... Gosh, there, there's some tremendous ones down south. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's really where the field trial game is. Mm-hmm. Down you know? here. Oh, I know. I, I Look, I was speaking to Neil um, Carter Jr. In, on his interview, and a great deal of what he said to me was, I mean, him learning the game being a scout. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's And a lot of your guys that are picking up your uh, plantation jobs – and um, different guiding positions on these up-and-coming plantations. They're, uh, they're former scouts mm-hmm. or, you know, they're dogmen, and they finally have a job that's really consistent. Right. You know, where they're not tripped on the road all the time. Right. And so it it's, you know, allows them to kind of settle in. Um, but, yeah, it's... I can't say enough um, a quality uh, rider not just a rider but someone that understands the dogs that you're running mm-hmm. it, that's because you're trying to get your dog around the course right and whether it's an hour or three hours 
or even a half hour, you got to get your dog around to be in contention. Because mm-hmm. if you're losing them, they're not in contention. And um, it's really important. And, and really what you want from that handler is you want that handler to be able to sit right in front of the judge or the judges and handle that dog and make it look easy. Right. And so y- your scouts have a lot of work that they need to do with certain dogs. And, so. and just getting to know them, knowing what dogs to run, where to run, you know, just little yeah. variances like that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's certain handlers that won't run um, dogs on uh, different plantations or di- at different uh, venues mm-hmm. because uh, maybe the dog's getting over an issue of chasing deer. Um, mm-hmm. And they, there might be a lot of deer on that on a plantation. Wow. So they don't want to take a chance of that dog, um, you know, having an issue, becoming unwound, going into the national. So they, you know, you think about it, they're, that, uh, that handler is a coach, and, and they're looking at their team, their lineup, because every time they go into a championship, they're, they're on the line. They've got to perform, and they've got to get dogs around, and they've got to get dogs to perform. Mm-hmm. And so it's pretty cutthroat. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, just now now we're getting into the field trial circuit, but I also, before we get there, we're getting closer to that particular thing. Talk about true competence. Like, you know, since I met you, that was, he seems to be a very, very, very special dog. He's in he's in the circuit right now running, and you got me looking for him. You know, see, you see what I'm saying? Like, talk about that dog. Um. Well, he's owned by Frank and Jean Lanasa. Um, like I said, Frank's been a, a mentor of mine for about five years now. Mm-hmm. Um, I got turned on to uh, True Confidence from uh, Chris Mathen, who runs uh, Strideway. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, yep. She, yeah, she's a great photographer. Yep, um, I want that book that he has. Yes, yes. Um, so... Uh, Chris, I, I reached out to Chris at one point and I said, hey, you know, I'm kind of looking around um, and you're, I know you have a great reputation with your dogs in the grouse woods and dogs that hunt wild birds. I said, um, what would you suggest? And she goes, well, I, I think Frank might have a litter coming out um, and he's got a real nice dog called True Confidence. And they said, or she says, and he's got real quality females. He's um, going to cross him to. I said, okay, well, uh, would it be okay if I ever reached out to Frank? She goes, well, let me check with him first. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, I can appreciate that. Right? Yeah. And um, so she reached out to Frank and, um, and then I emailed him um, about a week later and uh, he was real kind to me. And that's kind of what started the whole bond with Frank and I and mm-hmm. um, just getting to know each other. And, um, and I kept reading on True Confidence, and uh, he was, um, Frank kept him at home. He didn't put him on the circuit until he was about five years old. Wow, that's, and, that's yeah. not expected. No, no, it's not. And, and most people don't know, he's nine years old. God. Um, and, and so, um, and I saw him last summer uh, out at Frank's house. I, I drove to Minnesota, and uh, and picked up a bunch of puppies out of him and gosh he acts like he acts like a four to five year old dog he's just happy and playful and Mm -hmm. 
uh, physically very well put together still. He's not broken down. And he's just got a tremendous mind to him, and he consistently puts that stamp in his puppies. Mm-hmm. And and I've said this before, it's um, I don't need a lunatic on the ground. I need a dog that has good mental composure and character around game. Right. And the dogs that I've gotten from... Uh, uh, Rich and Kim, uh, the Silver Strike bred dogs, uh, or the Strike line that they're breeding, mm-hmm. they're that way. They're very, very uh, intelligent animals. And uh, the dogs I've gotten from Frank, very intelligent animals. Um, and that's what works for me. That's what I like. Right. Um, and that's what I want to, moving forward, I want to be able to develop and, and hopefully compete with. So, well, that but, is. Yeah, he, he's just a real, to me, he's a real special dog, and just the same way that Idaho's Lucky Strike was. Um, and uh, they throw a lot of their character um, into their pups. And, um, and they've also been bred to good females. Right. Right. So. Okay. All right. Look, I'm, you get me riled up now. <laughs> well, you know, the cool part, though, and I was hoping this would happen, um, he, True Confidence, had a really good run in the callback down mm-hmm. at the Continental. And um, they come back and they run for an hour and 50 minutes to two hours in the callback. And he, uh, he was the number one callback dog. What do you, and, why, do you, why do you think that? Well, I mean, not well, why do you think that, but why do you think he was the number one callback? He's just a very consistent animal, and okay. in the in the um, in, he was braced in the second brace um, uh, at the start of the championship, and he had um, in his hour he had three really nice finds from what I heard, and he was always to the front, and he was always handling his game on his own, um, and he did really well on the the plantation down there. Okay. Um, and so he got into the callback, and they named him the number one callback dog. And he had a really nice performance, uh, specifically in a second hour, from what Frank told me. Um, and Frank said he, he goes, I, "I couldn't be happier with the dog." Right. And he said he just he did everything Luke asked of him, and he was happy to do it. Nice. And um, so he he did really well. Uh, his one of his pups actually won the Continental Derby Championship. Wow. Jesus uh, Christ. Yeah, so uh, and that dog's um, uh, Dogwood Bill, and he's handled by Danny Daniels. And um, he's been really doing well in the Derby Stakes this year. So I think he's got a bright future ahead of him. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now... For my listeners that are really trying to get into the field trial circuit, can you kind of give us a like a like a summarized version of how Amer- the American field structure is broken down? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, ideally, what the judges are doing, you're not basing it on points. Um, AKC, I believe, runs it on points. Mm-hmm. Um, but American Field, it's the best dogs under judgment that the judges see okay. in that trial of the championship. Um, and uh, as a broke dog, they need to display broke manners around their game. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, now, on the amateur side, they'll give a little bit of leeway, but in the open stakes, those dogs have to be um, perfect. It was st- that's steady um, to wing shot and fall, correct? Right. 
Well, yeah, but we're not shooting birds. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah, minus yes. the minus it, it, minus it, it, the shot. You're right. The the flush. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Wing, yeah, wing and shot. Wing and shot. They have to be um, broke all the way through. So, yes. uh, handler flushes the birds. Mm-hmm. Walk back to the dog, and that dog better be standing exactly where it was pointed. Right. That's my fault for getting my terminology oh. wrong. But yeah. Oh, you're you're good. You're good. Yeah, and. Um, and so you're taking that dog through the full process, and then they've got to show it with consistency throughout um, their time on the ground and, mm-hmm. and judgment. Um, and then, you know, ideally they say, you know, all age dogs are going to run bigger uh, than shooting dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I will tell you one thing. There are a couple of dogs I saw on that shooting dog circuit. You could have taken them and put them on the all age circuit. And... It, you wouldn't have known a difference. Really? Um, they filled the country in front of them, and they were really, really good bird dogs. Wow. Um, that's awesome. And that's just based yeah. off of intelligence, maybe? Just knowing yeah, how to maneuver the country? Yeah, it's, well, it's intelligence being adaptable to the country. Um, yeah, they're, and I, there's a lot of them that are able to go either way. And in fact, there's dogs that get brought up in the shooting dog. Um, those types of trials and championships and then they get more run as they become um, mature mm-hmm. and at four or five six years old are all age dogs okay and, and one of them being true confidence um he had he had been runner up in a multiple amount of um uh, shooting dog championships and then um transition to the all age because he had the ability to do that okay Okay. So that's look, man, you are like I said, is this is just gonna be as much of a learning experience for me as it is, you know, a podcast. Um and I, it's given me something to really, really aspire to. Um yeah. you know, as you said before, you you're explaining all of this and the retrieving aspect. I'm I'm starting to understand why that's not as big a deal. Um, just based off of the performance and things like that if they do it they do it if they don't they don't you know you're not going to force them into it Um, and quite frankly I have my own freaking retriever so (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly yeah Um, but no man I I just really appreciate that breakdown Um, because some of the things that I guess as far as bird dog terminology kind of get me is the differences I guess when people talk about a gun dog versus a shooting dog versus a, a, a everyday bird dog, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, it's the terminology sometimes that kind of gets me. So I'm I'm looking. For, I was looking for that breakdown. Yeah, and the, the one thing I tell you too is um, with with the hunting dogs that we have. You know, all my dogs hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what my first and foremost thing is. Um, but if I were to say, okay, next week I'm going to take them to a field trial and they're they're going to light it up, um, I mean, I'd just be running my mouth. Yeah. Um, it would take, you know, these dogs that are um, competing, even in the western states, they are always run from a horse. Right. You know, and there's a whole different... That dog handles um, from that horse a whole different manner than what a hunting dog does. Mm-hmm. Now we may talk about a dog running big um, in, the, in in this country. You know, I might say, yeah, the dog was really reaching into that country, um, 
you know, 600, 800 yards, but um, on a horse, what are they going to reach into that country? Right. You know, it's, it's different. They've got to run different lines and they've got to learn how to hunt differently and they've got to learn to lay into the country differently. So, mm-hmm. uh, but the, first and foremost, they still have to hunt. Right. Um, but it's got to be a smoother application and they've always got to be to the front of you. Okay. So, okay. Um, now, for you, how are you keeping those dogs ahead of you? Um, I, I always make my dogs go to the front. Um, I honestly, I probably don't even think about it. Um, as puppies, they want to, when I do walks with them, they always go to the front of me. Okay. So you're just encouraging um, from that point, just continue to encourage. Yeah. And they always go with me. Yeah. Um, you know, and I start taking puppies for walks that, um, you know, eight weeks old or whatever, whenever I have them, um, they always have, they're, they're going with me, whatever direction I'm going. Mm-hmm. Um, they may run out in front of me, you know, 30 to 50 yards. And then I'm going to, I'm going to call on them. I'm going to start, you know, whistling or calling. I'm going to change directions on them. I'm going to go 90 degrees to a different direction. And, and, uh, you still have that invisible, uh, um, kind of check cord, so to speak, where they don't want to be left behind. Mm-hmm. And uh, they go right, they come with you, and then they go to the front of you. So, and, and so as pups, you just kind of letting them, just letting them be, but whistling and saying, hey, come this way, you know, when I change yeah. the direction. Okay. Yeah, when I call on you, just come with me, and you're, you're instilling that teamwork. Okay. Okay. Um, and, that, and that, to be honest, that's probably the easiest way. Um, and they don't want to be left behind. And they're real smart dogs. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got intelligent animals. And, yeah, they, they make good decisions. And and then there's some of them that don't run directly to the front. And so we, what you're trying to do is whittle that down and keep them out mm-hmm. directly to the front of you. Okay. Um, and when they get into that country, then they can widen out a little bit more. Right. All right. So, so let's talk about the barrel and 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 the uh the plank and i I hope i'm I'm still good on time are we okay oh yeah yeah, we're good okay yeah okay okay um yeah so um both are really effective it it just depends on what you're looking for Mm -hmm. um with any dog so um the one thing that i was taught is that when i work a dog on a board or a barrel is they don't have to be perfect right um some dogs uh look terrible on them but what i'm doing is i'm i'm getting a a mode of um communication with that animal so that's my purpose of using a board um or using a barrel and then i can also implement um like kind of core setups of what I'm going to be using for breaking them out if I need to, or, or, or teaching them not to chase. Okay. So, um, it, it's you, basically you're, you're putting your hands on them. You're grooming them up. You know, you're, you're making it fun and, um, it goes a long ways for them. Okay. So I've got a, I actually have every one of my dogs will try to jump up on, um, a six inch piece of wood in the kennel space that I have. Wow. Um, and they, they just want to be up on it because they like it. And, um, and I, you know, and when they're up on it, you know, some, when they're a pup, you know, I, I, I'm just teaching them to stand. That's all. I'm mm-hmm. teaching them to stand and let me put my hands on you. And when I'm putting my hands on them, I'm, I'm kind of talking to them. 
and uh, and grooming them up and and uh, styling them up. Yeah. But I don't. People think that that's the end all be all. You know that um, that that dog's gonna. Um, stand like a million bucks or like a big old statue because I've staunched them up. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I would say for my dogs, they don't. In fact, Sage doesn't. Um, yeah. She, uh, the way that she she points her birds is, you know, she'll, the longer she stands, the taller she gets, but she's not a head, a head lifting type of dog. She's, uh, she's just not. Um, Brooke is, uh, Rue is, and, uh, and Buddy will lift, but. Mm-hmm. You know, I just kind of let them be them. But when I have them on the board, it's just me kind of getting communication with them. So eventually when I do have to make corrections with them on on their game, they're not shutting down. Right. You know, it's um, they have an understanding of what I'm looking for based on how I um, how firmly or relaxed I'm handling them. Right. So. Um, and it's probably the closest I really get to a dog. I, I see these guys all the time, you know, doing check cord work, and they kneel right down next to the dog and they make them stand there. And I don't like doing that. Really? No, I don't. Um, and that's kind of like what you had talked to me about, like the forcing of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that dog needs to want to do it, but they they'll tell you when they're ready to do it. And right. all you're trying to do is help them do it longer. But if I if they're not ready and I'm manually keeping them in one place, or you know grab them by the collar and lift them back all the time when they're not ready, then um, they're just not ready. Right. And, and it it comes into breeding real intelligent animals and knowing what you're breeding, or knowing what the blood is dictating. So you you got to ask the people that are breeding those litters. Um, how did the dogs break out? What am I? How should I look at things? Or how, what should I look for? with them um in fact i i i have a pup in for training um and he's a an english setter and i called the breeder um the breeder is uh, jerry coulter of northwoods bird dogs mm-hmm. and i called jerry and i said hey look i think i'm getting this pup in for training um out of this litter that you produced last year i said what can you tell me about him what are you noticing and jerry just you know he told me right up front and uh it was really cool. Um, so then I have an idea of how to accommodate for that dog. Right. The best that I know how. And so, yeah, it's, that's really what you're trying to do. The equation is those wild birds and that dog having the ability to handle them on its own. Okay. And then you coming into the equation and flushing and shooting. So they have to keep you in the back of their head the whole time, but they need to run that country appropriately, find birds, get them pointed and set, and, you know, you walk out in front and flush and shoot, and, you know, the dog has done their job. Mm-hmm. So um, what I'm looking for is a dog that can do that on their own, that I don't have to help them into wild birds or I don't have to help them into birds or talk to them the whole time when they're on their game to keep them in check. Right. Okay. Um, Well, that's, I mean, that no, look, that was gold. Like, Jesus, that was all... I, uh, I I really appreciate that, and it, and it really does align with many of the things that um, 
that I want to start doing with my own dog. You know, I, I told you I'm going to be building a barrel, um, a wall yeah. barrel based on a, a Bud Moore specifications. And I'll make a couple of little additions. I'm not going to say modifications, but probably additions. I was actually thinking about building that wall barrel and adding the plank onto it. Yeah. Um, you know, just it, 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 just trying out new little things, maybe onto the side. But um, I like that because it, it doesn't place the the entire responsibility of the dog onto the barrel or the plank. You know, there's extra work to be done. Yeah. You know, um, and and I, I'm a big proponent of of communicating the, with the dog, and that does have a lot to do with keeping your hands on them. So. Let me ask you this, and now I want to get into the controversial part that, uh, you know, <laughs> that a lot of people are going to hate me for. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. So, all right. Is there merit to the fact that there have historically been more pointers and setters in American field trials as opposed to continental breeds? What do you think about that? Well, I would say the American field showcases those breeds. Mm-hmm. That's probably the best way to put it. Um, you, I, I don't, and I'm, I'm not sure on this, if a short hair has ever made the national. I, maybe there has been. Um, uh, was it last year or the year before, uh, Brandon Blum from out in California um, had one that was half qualified for the national. Hmm. And, and he... Uh, he almost had that dog qualified. Um, there, he won what was supposed to be a qualifier, but they changed the judges changed it. Something happened. They they altered it. He didn't get the dog qualified, and he was um, I think he was pretty upset about it. But I've heard some really good things about him and the dogs that he's been running. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but they do have American Field has some great short hairs and some great short hair trials. Um, I believe Doug Favor out in uh, Pocatello had a short hair, um, and I can't remember his name, but I believe he was half qualified as well. Hmm. Um, so, it, and they're they're really good. Like they're really good dogs. I I don't I don't own any. I don't ever like. And that's just me. I don't yeah. want to own a short hair. Yeah. I, I really like the pointers, and I I actually like setters a lot as well. Right. But. Um, there's some really good short hairs out there and we've got this is short hair country mm-hmm. out here because you've got so many versatile hunters and so um, you've got guys that want to go and be in a duck blind one day and even in the afternoon they might take the dog out to the trucker hills right um, you know they might be shooting birds off the snake river and then go into the uh, the mountains you know half hour or an hour after getting done duck hunting mm-hmm. um and they want a dog that's going to retrieve. They want one that's going to do it all for them. Um, and so it, it's just different. Um, the uh, the short hairs that are in these big championship field trials um, that uh, Ray LaRondo has and then the Richardsons have out here, they're very much performance animals. Mm-hmm. And they still have to retrieve in the short hair championships. Um, but it's, it's different from your typical, um, I, I don't know if I'm going to say this right. Is it Kuzar or, uh, Kursar, yeah. like, it, yeah, you know, what I'm, so 
it's a different animal than yeah, that. They, absolutely. They, they crossed a lot of pointer into <laughs> over the years oh, yeah. to make it a, a much different animal. And you can tell the difference, um, not just their body type, but even uh, their coat. The white coat. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so those original short hairs... Um, had brown. a real well, they were, and they had a thicker coat, yeah. and it was um, it was more oily, like a hound. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you, you talk in my language, that, you know, I went crazy on you when I first talked to you about this. Now, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in uh, now you're seeing these short hairs, and you know they've got hair, you know, like the whole body's white with just liver on the head. Mm-hmm. Um, That's pointing. And it's pointer, yeah. And they're running different. They're carrying themselves over the ground different. They've got a different endurance. Yep. Um, it's just a different dog than what originally had come over. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. but there's some tremendous dogs. Uh, I'll just say it that way. There. Um, but I, I get told probably twice a month. Um, like, you know, how great somebody's short hair is. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure they are. You know, well, I'm sure they're a great hunting dog. And 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 to again, I said this earlier, we we did a Nastra trial this past weekend with my buddy Richard Shorthair and yeah, Summit is, you know, she's got the liver head and a white coat. And I, and if I had to get a short hair, it would look like that, mind you. Yeah. Um yeah. but I am a firm believer that the continental breeds all right. I mean, they're just, they they hunt different. They hunt a certain type of way based on the need. Um, and like you say, and, and like I agree and, and said before, you mix pointer in there, you're just going to get it. I mean, watching watching Summit run, she run, to me, in my opinion, she ran better than a lot of other short hairs that I've seen. A lot of short hairs drop their nose to the ground. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's and you see that with a lot of the, the continental bred dogs, mm-hmm. um, because they're versatile bred. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they'll track. And that can be for any dog, if they start dropping their nose, that can get them in trouble um, right. on wild birds specifically right. because they start tracking the game. Right. Um, and, you know, it, and that's what I would tell anyone it's all on what you want. Um, some people. Uh, really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't want. I don't want a dog in next to me. Right. When I'm working country and and I like you know I, I go up in the Hell's Canyon and different areas out here and I'll cover for me personally I'll cover up to fifteen to twenty miles in a day mm-hmm. and that's just me over the ground. Um, I don't want a bootlicker. Right. I don't want a dog in close to me. If I wanted that, I'd get. You know, I honestly, I'd get a lab. Or I was about to say, get a lab because my lab is at my heel majority of the time for a good right. reason. And, and they can sweep, right? Yeah, and they can sweep. Right. But again, um, I'm. I guess let's just put it bluntly. I'm not that diehard of a hunter um, that I want to kill birds right. all the time. You know, right? Um, I want it done a certain way. So. Yeah. No, I I totally agree. Like I let's talk let's say Kansas, for example. My experience going out yeah. in Kansas. I appreciate a short hair hunting that ground. I do. But yeah. I guess you know, I'm a diehard quail hunter. I want a dog's nose in the air. I do. Yes. Um yeah. If I want to hunt pheasants, I'm not gonna hunt my pointer on pheasants. I'm just not. I'm going to use my lab. I'm sorry. 
I yeah, ditch parrots, man, ditch parrots. <laughs> exactly, like I because and I because I don't want a creeping dog. Right. Yeah. You, right. you see what I'm saying? A quail will flush, a pheasant will run, and then they'll flush. Um, and, I, and I think that there's a lot of merit to that. I mean, even talking about your wire hairs versus your draughts. Um, yeah. Just different standards. Same dog, just different standards. They're going to hunt differently. Um, yeah. And, and I, 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 a lot of that, I think, is when they were bringing those continental breeds over here, well, hell, the hunting landscape is totally different. It is, yeah. Uh, and what we have in certain parts of the U.S. is going to be different around mm-hmm. the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a really good wire hair breeder out here uh, named Jeff Funky, and I think I said his name right, but um, I mean, I think it's two thousand dollars a puppy. I can believe it for any of his dogs. But they, they, they're dogs that go into the country and handle game, from what I'm told. Yeah. Um, and then you've also got Bob Ferris with uh, the Poodle Pointers. Mm-hmm. Oh, the Poodle Pointer is an amazing breed, mind you. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so you know, they, but they're different depending on the part of the country that you're in and what they're being bred for. Right. You know what what the breeder is looking for to hold up in that country. Absolutely. Um, so. Yeah, it just depends on where you're at. And then also having certain mentalities will do better in certain countries. It's like mm-hmm. the pointers down in Texas have to be tough. Yeah. Um, that's why a lot of the old rebel blood and uh, fiddler blood, they were real tough, like physically just tough and brawny animals. Mm-hmm. And they would just hold up. Um, you know, South Texas, all the way up into Oklahoma to Arizona. Um a lot of fiddler blood through that part of the country. Yep. So. Yep. And 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 just the terrain. So my my last question, and I kind of want to get into you hosted a summer camp, correct? Yes. Yep. So what were you know what were some of the constant misconceptions of uh, some of the pointers and setters that you you kind of noticed versus the continental well, breeds? Yeah, um, <laughs> this this happens all the time. Um, you know, somebody hears about a pointer and they think it's just some maniac mm-hmm. uh, without an off switch. And um, I, I'll tell you point blank, the uh, the noisiest dogs in the kennel were um, were not pointer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I had to utilize bark collars, um, some of them. I mean, you could not have dinner on the porch without them just barking their heads off. Really? Um, yes. And, that, and it's not putting the dog down. It's just, you know, you have to accommodate for that stuff. Right. Um, and I've, I've seen them where they're pogo sticking six feet high in a kennel, you know, just bounding straight up because, mm-hmm. you know, they're very athletic animals, but they just want to be out. And you... It's just different depending on the animal, but um, there's a lot of misconceptions that you've got this fire-breathing monster of a pointer mm-hmm. um, or some of these southers, and that they're just going to tear everything in the house apart. They're going to do this or that. I'll tell you, um, I have a dog bed in my room, and occasionally I bring in a dog, and I they don't even know. I, they don't know how to sit. They don't know how to lay down. They don't know any of that. Mm-hmm. I don't teach my dogs to sit. I don't believe in it. And okay, I and I and I tell them. I point to the bed and I say, "Go to your bed." And they go over and they lay down and they sleep there the entire night. And they don't fight me. And I, I'm talking about even some of them. 
one that I believe is a little unsettled of my personal dogs. And she will go and she will lay down and she will sleep there the whole night and not make a pee. Wow. Wow. And so it, it just, there's a lot of misconceptions, but if you have a dog, any dog in the house, they can be crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, any dog without exercise can be crazy. Yep. Um, and that's the hard part for a lot of people to, to understand with them. Right. Um, well, it, it's and, about setting the standard and doing the work yeah. to set that standard. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and I'll tell you one thing, though. I, as much as that pains me to say this at times, um, probably the, the physically strongest animal I had at summer camp um, and I had some really big pointers, mm-hmm. uh, like 60, 60 to 65 pound pointers. Um, I, uh, I had a, a short hair. Uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> my gosh, if you put him on the roadie rig, um, he, he'd almost bend the bars on it. Wow. Um, he just, and he, uh, could get his, I mean, he had so much leverage out of his hind end. And he is so physically strong, um, and he was fast. Yeah. Um, but he had so much strength coming out of him. Um, it, it was amazing. I, I didn't believe it at first, and I thought, dang, I. He would rub himself raw. Yeah. On the front on the harness. Look, no, nobody wants to give a short hair that much credit. <laughs> no, no, and uh, you know he actually he was a really fun dog to work. Yeah. He was very um, enthusiastic, um, but he was a cool dog. I'll, I'll say that. Uh, yeah. He was a really fun dog to be around because he always wanted to work. Yeah. And. When I a lot of these dogs at camp, they're pets. Yeah. You know, they're they're in and out of the house, and um, a lot of them are not used to working. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are, but they they have to learn that work is fun for them. Right. And after a couple days of getting into things, man, it's amazing how much they change, and uh, you can just see the joy going to work every day. Mm-hmm. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. So, well, so um, so let's talk about this, and and I want to elaborate on that really quick. Do you think that a lot of that comes from nurturing? Like, you see, what I'm saying, like nature versus versus nurture type deal. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Okay. Um, I've seen guys actually. Uh, there's a trainer out of Minnesota that's good friends with uh, Frank, and he will put um, a six to eight week old puppy in a little Chihuahua harness. And teaching the lead straightforward to line out in front of him. And uh, what he's doing is building up the mental capacity to work. Well, Mm -hmm. he might start and do that for 20 or 30 seconds is all. Mm -hmm. And and he may do that for two weeks just for that long. And then he's going to go longer. Right. It's kind of like your board work, right? Board work is a mental is mental work for that dog. Oh, absolutely. Right. So um, you don't put a puppy on a board and expect him to stand for five minutes. He's not going to. You got um, 30 seconds. He's over. Right. Exactly. Get him to stand still for a moment and then pull him off. Um, and so, yeah, I, I've watched this stuff and it was really cool uh, to watch people. We, we always talk about the physical side, but not the mental uh, capacity in building it up. And um and this gentleman, he's developed uh, some tremendous dogs, and uh, they, they're they usually run uh, in the derbies up in the Wisconsin and Minnesota area. 
Um, but he's developed some really good dogs that may never get field trials. Right. You know, they may never get a chance to run in a championship, but they are probably that much quality of a dog. Right. Wow. So if that makes any sense. No, it makes perfect sense. Um, it, it makes per- perfect sense. And that was something that, um, you know, you and I discussed, you know, covering, and I think it's very important to cover, um, <laughs> you know, uh, like I said, number one, I'm I'm going to always mention my buddy Richard because I think he has a phenomenal uh, point uh, uh, short hair. But it's about the way you rear the dog. Yeah, it yeah. fundamentally is about the way you rear the dog. It doesn't matter what breed it is. Every everyone ha- is going to have their little quirks, like you. And, and and to be totally transparent, I'm talking all this trash about a short hair, but before I even solidify my decision on a pointer I was looking into a short hair yeah he, actually you want to know something funny I, I almost bought a short hair one yeah <laughs> so we're all guilty I, of it then <laughs> yeah well they're they're uh, as much as it pains me to say they're good looking animals hey they're um, damn good looking dogs <laughs> yeah they are and uh yeah and they're 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 nice animals yeah. um and that it's a great dog, especially uh, someone was getting into hunting. Mm-hmm. They're they're a great dog to have to get into it specifically, right? Yeah. Um, because they want to work for you. Yeah. They're, and they're pretty darn smart. Yeah. Um, I, you can go back and edit this out if you want. No, you're good. Uh, look, lay, <laughs> lay it on now. Lay it on. <laughs> but it's um. It, to me, it's just the, you know the the pointer and the stutter are the breeds that I, I like to watch and I like to develop. Yeah. Um, and I have not gotten to work with enough stutters to be yeah. honest, but I'm you trying to bring on more. You know, it's it's so interesting that you say that. I have a a very fond respect for resetters. I for setters. Um, mm-hmm. I. I respect them. Don't necessarily think I want one. I and, and when I was shopping for dogs before I got my lab, I almost committed to a setter. Glad I never did for whatever I reason. Yeah. Nothing, nothing wrong with them. Nothing wrong with them. Um, I just think my style preference, based on what I've seen, is pairing up a Labrador with a pointer. That that to me is my ultimate team. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and in fact, uh, so where I hold the uh, summer camp is at Mitch Hertz house. Mm-hmm. Um, and I sold Mitch a dog, uh, going on four years ago now, I think three to four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, gosh, he, he only runs pointer and then he's got, uh, three laps. Mm-hmm. And so Mitch guides, um, year round. He guides in, uh, Montana from, what is it? The September 1st all the way to November mm-hmm. and then he drives to South Texas and he guides on a ranch down in South Texas until uh, the end of February nice and so um, but when he runs on uh, on pheasants you know he puts labs on the ground he because they will unravel a pointer they will really mess with a pointing dog mm-hmm. um, but you know there's certain dogs that are made for it that are a pointing breed right. but uh, the labs are just real good at it yeah. um, but that's he just said look these are the breeds that hold up for what I'm doing 
Um, and he's just real firm about it, and he's very analytical about what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, well, look, he, he uh, sounds like a man after my own heart. <laughs> yeah, he he's from Georgia originally. Oh, well, then he's that's why. <laughs> yeah, that's why. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's he's a good man, and uh, I was pretty uh, pretty fortunate to. Um, when I was selling this dog uh, to place her with somebody um, that would really take care of her and not go breeding her because of her, her bloodlines. Mm-hmm. And she's, she's six years old. And, uh, you know, he's like, you know, what do you think if I bred her? He actually called me and asked me if, I, if he could. And he says, well, she's technically your dog. <laughs> yeah. Laugh. You know, and it's, um, it was nice to have that respect from him, but um, she's done so well for him, and she was a better dog for a guiding scenario than she was for what I wanted out here. Right, right, and so. you, and you have to know that. So, Ryan, my last question, and because I yeah. took it, look, we we two hours in now. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I told you I can talk now. I'm sorry, I can talk. <laughs> no, I can talk. So I, I, I told you I can talk. Um, <laughs> and, and look, now you stuck with me. So <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm all right with that. So my my last question, my last question: What breeds do you think out of out of breeds that we've kind of discussed, or even if you want to bring something else up, what do you think? Yeah. Which ones do you think listen the best? Uh, on the breeds? Mm-hmm. Um, which, as far as handling or what? Well, ha- yeah, I... For the most trainable. Yeah, that's. I think that's where I'm trying to make the distinction because let's talk about trainable because I, I'm not the type of person that likes to overhandle a dog. Like, I, I like yeah. a quiet hunt. So, let's talk about trainability. Um... Honestly, like I, I mean, from my experience, uh, the pointer. Okay. Um, you know that that to me is, um, if you want to call them like the easiest mm-hmm. and the dog with the most punch, um, that's yeah, very much so. Um, and there's there's just a lot less body movement. Yeah. That makes any sense. So, um, in we talk about like head dipping down and things like that. It's just for me, it matches up better. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, they just they seem to real for most part they seem to listen. Once you get them working for you, they seem to really do a nice job. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's just for me. Um, uh, gosh, I. Yeah, other people are probably gonna rip me apart for it. But, <laughs> well, uh, I'm, look, I'm gonna stand behind you, dang it. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. No, I, I would say like, in the, it, it wouldn't matter where I was in the country. Um, I would want to run um, a well-bred pointer. Yeah. You know, and if I was in the grouse woods, I'd run a pointer. Okay. Uh, even even if there everybody was handling setters. Um, in the Midwest, if everyone was, or, or out here, everyone's running short hairs, I still want to run a pointer. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it just doesn't matter where I'm at. I, I personally work with them the best, I think, but mm-hmm. I really like developing from other breeds. Yeah. Um, in fact, case in point, um, I have a Weimaraner in for training. And Oh, gosh. How did you survive that? Well, she, to be honest, she's she's becoming a wild bird dog. Uh, really? 
I yeah, I I called um, Guy Malacone down in um, Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. Uh, and Guy breeds uh, Weimariners. He's been doing it for years. Nice. And I said, uh, and I said, Guy, I need some help. Um, and I said, I don't know where to go on this. Like the dog isn't showing me anything that I'm looking for, like a pointer would. And I'm, I said, he goes, Are you training her like you would a pointer? I said, Yeah. He goes, All right, this is what you got to do. And he put me in reverse. He goes, You got to think of it as you're building a predator. You're building a killer. Huh. And he's, you got to reverse what you're thinking and build them up the other way. And so, um, and I had already had the dog for three weeks. Yeah. And I couldn't figure it out. And he told me that, and immediately I went out and I started thinking in a different manner. And it immediately came. Immediately. What? No, um, what, did, what did you do differently? I, I let her start killing birds. Wow. Like like you would uh, a pointer puppy, you know, maybe start them on birds and you just want to do gun conditioning or whatever you want to do with them yeah. uh, to get them interested. I went back to puppy stuff with her and I let her, I let her kill birds every other day for um, about 10 days. Just like pull feathers out and just totally just demolish the bird. Yeah, yeah I, want, I wanted her eating them. Wow. I wanted her, and that's what Guy told me. He goes, you got to make her a killer. She's, he said, that is what a German dog is. They are a killer. Uh, now, that I will agree with. Yes. Right. Yeah, they're tough dogs. That They are bred to be tough, to handle any type of game. And he said, see what starts happening. He goes, I bet something's going to happen. And so I got off the phone with him. And within five minutes, I, was, I had her out in our back pasture. And I had um, a bird on the ground, you know, just tossing a bird with her. And she just, she would pack it around. She And she did everything that he told me she was going to do. And it was really cool. And I thought, okay, now I can understand it. I'm, I'm seeing this. And the next step is this. And I would, and I was thinking of it in my head and I would call him to confirm on it. And then I got her to a point where she understood every time she was on the ground that there's birds around. Hmm. And... And, and I'm not joking. She would, and I, I, I would talk to her owner about this. Um, and she, you know, I'd have a dog on the ground and I would try to work her up where he had, um, birds pointed. And a couple of times she tackled him. Right. And, and he had been standing there for five or 10 minutes and she, you know, bulldozed him, you know, wanting to play. And then I started shooting birds over him. And everything that we did in the pasture started coming together for her. And all she wanted to do was retrieve. She was so proud to do that. Right. And and then uh, there was one day that we went out and um, uh, we were working. And uh, uh, we probably got into about 13 cubbies that day uh, in about three hours or thir- three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And she was on the ground the whole time. And anytime I had a dog pointed... I would call her in and I would walk her right up through on the find. And each time she started bringing her head higher and you'd, you'd watch her start um, bringing in the scent and breathing it in. And then she'd start pausing and she'd start creeping with it. Hmm. It was really cool to watch this development. It, it honestly took uh, about three days or three different trips in the field and then it was stamped in her. So, I mean, you never had to worry about her wanting to just 
eat all your birds once you know once they were shot? No, she never has. Never has. It, she always and she is so proud to bring them back to you. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she's never eaten one of the birds. That's a smart dog for for you to say. Okay, kill all of these birds and then don't kill yeah. all of these birds. Right. Well, if she did start eating them, I'd say, you know what? Your desire is really high right now. Okay. And the more birds I shoot over, I I guarantee with that dog, it would lessen, and she's going to start figuring out that she wants to hand that bird off and get after more. Wow. And she just has. She's been easy, actually. Um, You know, she's trying in certain ways, just like any dog, but um, I had to change my thinking and my approach with her. And we're we're getting somewhere. She they took her down to Kansas, mm-hmm. and um, the the owner and his father took her down to Kansas, and they shot birds over her left and right on their trip, and she started pointing birds, and so she went from creeping, you know, creeping alongside me into the flush of birds up here, to where she was actually pointing birds in front of them and digging them up in the Kansas country. Wow. Um, and and now, like I brought her up, and I think within the third uh, covey contact, you know, of having one of my dogs on the ground, she she came in and she backed him, and I don't make her stand or anything. I let her work her way up through. I, I'm not putting manners on her yet. I'm right. going to in the next few months here, but um, I want more exposure before I do it. And she uh, she'll work her way right up in, and then she'll she'll stand that covey and she'll start pointing them. And she start. She her head is coming higher, and her confidence is higher as well. And she's just having a ball. So, um, and she's still young. She's not even two years old. Wow. I mean, that, <laughs> you just blew my mind with that one, Chief. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I was one. not expecting that. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you another one. I uh, I had a French Brittany at camp, and he's a tough little guy. Um, and uh, he is really fun to run. Yeah. He picked it up, and he was four years old, and they never really hunted him, um, and thought he was gun-shy and this and that. And that dog, he amazed me. He just always wanted to go, always wanted to be worked, and he had just a tremendous enthusiasm about him. And, yeah, it was fun. I, and so, like, as much as I'm about a pointer or a setter, mm-hmm. Working these other dogs and seeing them develop, it's you take an interest in an athlete, and that's the part to me. Uh, it's like having a track and field team, right? And going going into your conference championship and seeing people perform that you um, you really care about, and so that's what you're doing with these dogs, right? Or that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> Man, I. <laughs> You just blew my mind on that one, and uh, wow, I, I that was something that I just was not expecting to hear, um, you know, on the podcast, and for you to open up about that type of training with Brittany's, um, you know, wines, and then we just touched on pointers and said, dude, you just filled this podcast with gold, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. So, Jesus. It's just, well, and it's just fun to be able to talk about this stuff, you know. It, oh, um, absolutely. Because, like we, like we said, you're always learning, mm-hmm. and um, 
you know, if anybody comments on that stuff, um, I appreciate it because I can learn from it, right? For sure. And that's what it's about, though. It's about dialogue. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So, um, yeah. Wow. Well, at, 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 at this being the end of the podcast, where can we find you? How do we get in contact with you? If people want to send dogs, you know, are you open to it? How do we do that? Yeah. So uh, during during the year, um, I actually work in special education. Okay. Um, I work with special needs students uh, at a local junior high. Okay. And I, I'm taking on three dogs. Eventually, I might be able to get up to five, but it'll probably stay at three. I think that's my capacity right now. Um, and then having my dogs, uh, I don't want to overwhelm that. Right. Um, but during the summer, uh, this coming summer, I'm going back to Mitch Hurt's place. Um, and uh, we'll be taking on a number of dogs for the summer training, and that'll be about two and a half months of work. Okay. Um, the, the plan is to go June 1st to August 15th. Okay. And the last uh, three weeks, we're going to be going, going to work on wild birds. So everything is kind of progressing, getting dogs in order, uh, sprucing up manners, things like that. Um, and wherever they're at, getting them to a baseline to where we can run them on wild birds and they can develop and be prepared going into the hunting season. Okay. So the whole goal of, of a hunter is to have a dog that is fully prepared when they put them on the ground for that first hunt of the year. Okay. So, and then the dogs that I have, um, I am hoping to produce a litter of puppies. Um, and have uh, some puppies for sale for mostly hunting homes. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's my goal right now is to have dogs that you know a hunter could be very confident with. Right. Um, and uh, and I believe Mitch might be having a litter as well. Okay. Cool. So, yep. Cool. And, uh, and we're we're in uh, Livingston, Montana, and. Um, not sure yet where we're going to be for the last three weeks of the summer, but um, it'll be a place with wild birds. Right. Okay. All right. And you yeah. are on Instagram at Born to Run Kennels, all one word, yep. right? Yep. Yep. And then uh, my email is Born to Run Kennels at gmail.com. Okay. Cool. So that's, that's probably the best way to contact me if people are interested. Okay. Well, <laughs> man, you just blew my mind. And we're going to make that a two-part podcast, parts one and two. Um, All right. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Well, <laughs> dude, it, 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 yeah, I, I got so many. It just, I could talk to you for another five hours. I'm not going to do that, but I could. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're, you're always welcome to come out this summer if you'd like. Oh, absolutely. Have any time and can come up you're, you're okay. welcome to do that well look I'm going to keep bugging you and see if I can get some arrangements going on um, right. I, I do at some point if not this summer um I do want to come out and see you. So that's just my word, you know, to you. So, I mean, yeah. dude, th- these are the things that people need to hear, you know, on a podcast. And I, I appreciate it. It was very honest, very transparent and very informative. Um, and it's just a good dialogue, man, about bird dogs. Like, it's just good. That's, this is what I wanted out of, out of, um, 
a, a conversation with you. Like I said, you just you taught me so much, and I literally have four or five pages worth of notes. So, Ryan, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, if there's anything else that you need um, or have questions on, just let me know. And you know, I appreciate you having me on. Thank you, man. All right, well, guys, that is another episode of the Gun Dog Notebook podcast with uh, Ryan Mokahi and. Uh, Shoot, I guess we going to see you on part two. <laughs> All right, man. Hang on one second. Yep. All right, guys. That's the end of the episode with Ryan Mulcahy from Born to Run Kennels. Um, I hope y'all really enjoyed that episode. I really, really do. That was fun for me. It was always something that I wanted to do after seeing uh after seeing his instagram and social media really really nice guy and uh <laughs> my mind was blown during that particular episode so as i conclude um make sure you check out dakota 283 kennels all right check out the promo code for february and march remember it will get you um a free not a free a 50 percent off i'm so sorry 50% off uh, Dining Dash or a Dash 3.5 or a Dash 5.0. If you buy one kennel, um, the code is all caps TGDN50DD. DD like Deutsch Drothar. All right. Um, also, the Pride Dog Foods, you know, I've had a couple of people reach out to me um, on social media about it. But yes, reach out to me about the Pride Dog Food. We've got a couple of new offerings and things like that. Also, just a, a little bit of a, a disclaimer, um, I want to start messing with the intro of this and kind of take my voice out. So if you don't hear me in the intro, you just hear music, um, no big deal, you know, just a little bit of a change. I'm still figuring out some audio stuff and I'd rather, sometimes you have to, you know, go with less is more. So anyway, guys. Stay tuned for another episode and, uh, you know, I can't wait to get you back on and, and have y'all on to some more good information. All right. Y'all take care.